0: Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SEP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, welcome to the SCP podcast. I'm your host Zach Darnell, and joining me for this is Matt Swanson. How's it going, hey, buddy?
1: It's going all right. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. I'm actually recording from the Textillers podcast studio, uh, even though we're remote, trying to do the safe social distancing things.
1: Well, look at you! But you, you still all sound fancy. good.
0: I know. Thanks. I know. So um, you joined me for this interview and this conversation with Michael Tom. Uh, We recorded that, what, about a week ago or so now? Yep. So Michael uh, works for a company here in town called DK Pierce, um, and he's their director of project management. However, the kind of theme for this show is him being thrust into a product management role at DKP, somewhat unintentionally, um, and kind of his journey through that. I, I, I found that to be rather interesting. Most people I feel like I talk to about product management, it's very much their goal to be a product manager, and that was not necessarily yeah, was Michael's journey.
1: Yeah, it was definitely the case of someone who uh, found his way into the, the product world uh, out, of, out of necessity, maybe not so much uh, as an intentional plan.
0: Yeah. He, um, you know, he talked about when he joined, was it roughly eight years ago, I think, um, he took over responsibility for um, uh, a custom solution called Compass. And I think that ran for about, I don't know, four to six years after it came on board. And they kind of got to a point where they needed to go through and, and, Basically, make a decision of whether or not they're going to replace this thing with some off-the-shelf solution, or uh, they're just they're going to they're going to rebuild it from scratch and and build a custom product for them as well. Uh, so I I found that you know conversation a little a little interesting. That's not an uncommon place to be for a company, uh, but it, it was interesting that uh, you know they ultimately decided to build something custom, and when they went to decide who to work with. It wasn't necessarily who had the technical chops; uh, that was a big decision factor for them. It was uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, how he defined culture fit, you know, which is which is somewhat nebulous and hard to define.
1: Yeah, I don't know, I, I, think I, I think from I
0: think
1: the yeah from the, the from the technology and kind of delivery standpoint too, I think there was a, a big focus uh, on how do we not. Uh, go down the same path that we went down with this other tool where it sort of uh, mm. drifted away from from the needs of the users uh and then how do you also balance that with uh, their business and the 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 need to still have uh, ongoing uh, deliverables to their clients and uh i think he uh, mentions that it is sort of like trying to change the tires on your car while you're driving down the highway
0: right Yeah, I mean, you know, that's again not terribly unique. Uh, You know, I think what's interesting is that, you know, it is an internal tool today. It primarily serves the employees of DKP, uh, who then serve their underlying clients, um, which is which is great because. You know, getting access to users, getting feedback, validating assumptions can sometimes be hard to do when you've got to deal with an external user base. So, being able to have that in house and get, you know, seemingly real time feedback uh, is 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 a nice bonus. You know, I I don't know if you've if you've worked in the past where. Yeah, It's
1: a unique situation where you can actually get every person who's going to use your software like into a room, uh, you know, around a couple of pizzas.
0: That's true. You know, I I know that I've worked on, you know, products in the past where getting feedback on, you know, whatever we're building or getting ready to release is really challenging. You know, getting people's time and attention and opinions, even when you try to incentivize it. Uh, can be kind of tough when you're dealing with something that's more mass market or externally focused so um, they they went through this migration what about two years ago roughly from compass to their new product scout and I know that you know there's there's some longer term vision there to to maybe turn that into something that's more externally focused but um from your perspective on, on the technical side, you know, some of that conversation, what, what did you think about maybe some of the technical challenges and considerations in that migration?
1: Yeah, well, I think long term, they're, they're looking to sort of build a platform that they can then uh, use to power, uh, you know, new reports and deliverables that they uh, can come up with in the future. And so, you know, when you're building a platform, there's always the challenge of, uh, just getting everything in there in the first place. Uh, and then you also have to make sure that you're modeling everything correctly so that it is both, uh, you know, fit for use of with the existing uh, needs of the, the system. And then also uh, don't paint yourself into a corner so that you can never uh, expand or extend, uh, especially in the healthcare market, there's changes all the time. So, I mean, that's mm. kind of been the big challenge overall with, uh, with uh, building scout is is how do you how do you balance the needs for something that is purpose-built to uh, your specific domain uh, with something that's uh, also has some flexibility so the, the you know an ultimately flexible tool, something you know like uh, Trello or something or uh, just a basic salesforce instance uh, obviously can let you, mix and match things, but sometimes it doesn't quite fit. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have something that is completely uh, specific to uh, your business or your your particular niche. But then uh, if you end up encoding all the assumptions into the product and those uh, assumptions change as the real world uh, shifts out from under you, then uh, you could be left with uh, the case where you're always trying to catch up and, and your development cycle is, uh, really pro- prohibiting people from actually using the software. If you're if you're waiting on mm. features to get changed before right. you can you can actually use the software, that's going to be no good. So, I think yeah. overall the big lesson with with the transition uh, was how do we how do we still keep the lights on? How do we take what was good about the old system, carry that forward to the new system, uh, and and do that all while not losing focus of the, the bigger picture, the longer term.
0: Right. Yeah. And, you know, even in, in the short term migration, you know, talked we, we talked a little bit about trust from the users of that old system to the new system, kind of rebuilding trust in the organization too. I mean, you you've been involved in this since the beginning. Um, do you recall some of that transition and a lot of the the users of that older system and their adoption to the new piece to the or to the new system?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting in a normal, you know, external, you know, B2C, B2B uh, product, you, you have to do a lot of marketing and, and you know, there's mm-hmm. things like brand building and building, building trust uh, that you're not, you know, going to lose somebody's data or, uh, you know, everything's nice and secure. And uh, while we didn't have, uh, you know, this external thing, a lot of the same lessons applied internally. So, uh, you know, when you're building a tool that you're going to run your business processes on, it's still important that the uh, employees and and the people that are using the software, like have trust that the system, isn't going to, you know, eat their data or they're going to lose a bunch of work that they did, or uh, you know, that it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work for them because ultimately if it doesn't work for them, you know, they're going to stop using it. And we can see that's what happened with the old system that, that DKP had and and that uh, the system stopped serving users. And so they turned to a tool like Excel, which. Uh, you know, you can do whatever you want, but then you lose some of the benefits of, uh, you know, data validation and uh, y- you have to sh- uh, share these huge files around and you're emailing things back and forth and it's hard to track changes. So uh, it, it, it was definitely um, definitely the same lessons of, about building building trust and getting buy in from your users uh, mm-hmm. did apply. It was just uh, in, in this case, it was internal.
0: Right. No, that's a good, I mean, that's a really good point. Uh, I think that, um, uh, it was definitely from, from that conversation with Michael, it was definitely a learning opportunity, um, for him and the team. And I, I loved also that some of the product discovery techniques and tools that, that they've been able to incorporate and learn over the last couple of years have started to bleed into other areas of DKP. Uh, so I found that to be really interesting. Um, so I, I, it seems like this whole experience has kind of moved this unintentional role and responsibility and created very intentional learnings and, uh, uh, roles and responsibilities at DKP for Michael. And, um, I just loved hearing that story and, and hearing about that journey, Matt, I appreciate you joining me for this, um, A quick note to listeners, Uh, we are doing all of this remote, so some of the audio was a little choppy here and there. Matt, thank you so much, my friend.
1: Yep. Let's get into the episode.
0: Enjoy. We're talking with Michael Tom. Uh, Michael would you give us a quick background on uh kind of uh your career and you're working at dkp right now dk pierce and kind of your role there
2: yeah absolutely thanks zach for uh inviting me to join you here um so i've been at dk pierce for about seven years actually this month um and uh prior to that worked in a couple of digital marketing uh firms around town and uh so At my last job, kind of joined the IT world more directly, and then was hired at DKP as director of IT. And then that expanded to a role that encompasses more than just IT, uh, along with facilities and kind of project management as well. Um, uh, For anyone unfamiliar with DKP, we're a fairly small firm of about 20 employees. Uh, And so, especially on kind of the operations side of the house, you get to wear a lot of different hats, which is fun for me, to be sure.
0: Remind me, kind of what DKP focuses on. Your your core business.
2: Yeah, so we're a healthcare reimbursement consulting firm, and uh, so we work with pharma manufacturers, or so we work with pharma companies and manufacturers of uh, drugs, especially in the oncology and rare disease space.
0: Okay, and I've I and I don't know if this is a, a correct characterization, but to put it maybe more simply, is it kind of like a almost like a go to market strategy consulting for pharma i mean is that is that an an accurate or eh, that's too simple
2: yeah i think that's fair um there are certainly lots of details and and nuances that i'm still even learning today uh, as far as what that means to our clients and and you know different clients certainly have different needs and so forth but yeah we we work with them on on bringing their drugs to market not in a Um, Like marketing firm sense, but but in uh, positioning it, getting it uh, covered by the various payers, um, whether that's Medicaid agencies or commercial payers uh, through your your employer, uh, and ultimately getting patients access to the, in many cases, life saving and life uh, changing drugs that they that they often need.
0: Okay, and you actually went to school, if I remember correctly, for like music and the arts, right?
2: Uh, that's right. I have a BA degree from BSU, Ball State, uh for music education. And uh okay. Yeah.
0: And you but you actually still use those skills, right? Cuz don't you do some uh like event production or well, I
2: forget exactly. Yeah, so I still play uh so trombone is my major instrument and I still play trombone in a in a big band, a jazz band out of uh Pendleton actually. The band director at Pendleton Heights High School runs a band of of mostly music teachers, or retired music teachers, or almost music teachers, as as myself, uh, and uh, people who just care about music and music education, and and uh, you know if we if we make twenty bucks on a gig, it's a good weekend. It's uh, it's not much of a nice. money making opportunity, but it's uh, still fun to get to play music.
0: I'm sure it feeds the passion.
2: Oh yeah, and it's great to do. You know, I'm I'm what well over a decade out of college, and yet still get to do what I did for. Uh, ten years prior to that, um, so yeah, it's kind of the the thing that will hopefully always be at least a small part of my life.
0: that's awesome. um i I play the guitar well, <laughs> I own guitars. I know <laughs> yeah. how to pick them up and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my wife she's actually uh, she's played the violin since she was five., nice. uh, you know, done weddings, things like that, but it's always been a passionary of hers, and I hope that that gets instilled into my kids. Or do you guys do a lot of music? You've got two daughters at home. Do you guys do a lot of music at home? Um,
2: not in a real active sense yet. Uh, I mean, as far as listening to music and, you know, singing along with whatever, yes, all the time. Um, they are constantly asking me to play music on the Google. Um, and uh, <laughs> so we utilize that frequently. Uh, but as far as like playing, you know, firsthand playing music, not a lot. They've each been like, oh, what's that? And, you know, made some noises on my trombone, but nothing. Nothing. I mean, no, that's the oldest is, the oldest just turned five, so uh, I guess it's not technically too soon. But uh. yeah, yeah.
0: my uh, My oldest will be five here in a, here actually here in a few weeks, and um, I don't know if yours have learned this yet, but they will constantly walk up to the Google Homes that we have and say, "Hey Google, play trolls" or uh, you know whatever silly song that they're looking for.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, so our oldest, even when she was, I think, three, I was so proud of her, but also slightly worried the first time that she successfully triggered the key phrase and asked it to do something. Uh And her nice. favorite thing now is to ask it to uh, tell me a joke, and she will do that endlessly. And it's funny for two or three, and then it's like, all right, where's that mute switch? But <laughs> <laughs> We'll just make this not voice activated anymore, mm-hmm. just for a yeah. short while.
0: All right, so... All right, let's go back to DKP. So you've been there for roughly seven years. Your role has evolved. Small company, many hats. What do you think, uh, how do you feel like DKP has grown in that time? And maybe in the context of technology, but maybe more specifically software products. Because you guys are a consultancy, not a product development company.
2: Yeah, that's correct. Um, So I would say we've just developed in um, both sophistication and perhaps uh, appetite for Finding new and better ways to do things um so sometimes that means just processes, not really tool or software dependent at all um We've had uh, you know a handful of new employees and certainly a handful of retirees as well uh, in the in the seven years and so with some of the kind of new blood I guess into the company um uh the company by the way, is celebrating its twentieth anniversary this year, so um got oh, wow. some people who are uh long tenured and and then some of us who have been just around. In, you know handful of years or or less um so with some of the the new blood has been i think um some either experiences at other companies via you know, former uh employers or just in the industry where you know there are different ways to do things um and you know every company is certainly subject to doing things the way they always have um and that's so that's nothing unique to dkp but uh certainly there's been a streak of that that i think we've done um made, made some good progress on in the past few years. So. When it comes to tools and technology and software um you know our our value prop to our clients is not bells and whistles uh it is the depth of our knowledge and the quality of our consulting uh, and the real meaningful insights that we bring to our clients um but that okay. having been said uh, we know that bells and whistles for better or for worse are uh important <laughs> and uh, not just externally, um, even for our own employees, my coworkers, um, uh, ease of use of tools and even to some degree interest in using tools, um, having software that works uh, and does what we need it to is important. And I, I should lean more on that than the bells and whistles part because being shiny is not alone uh, a qualifier of, of good software, uh, but having something sure. that, that fits our needs and does what we need it to without asking our people to bend over backwards um, uh has been very important and i think that's a shift that we've made not just in kind of the context of what we'll be talking about here today but even other um just you know sas solutions kind of off the shelf that we've uh plugged into other parts of the business we've we've replaced an awful lot of those things in, in the time that i've been here uh kind of all in service of of better outcomes uh better better use of by our employees and better outcomes then hopefully for the clients
0: Okay, it's actually interesting you bring up off-the-shelf software and kind of see your tenure here. Um, you know, you've been there for you know seven years at a twenty-year-old company. Uh, that's a good chunk of time. I would imagine when you started, what you guys were using has evolved and changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ha- only have some off-the-shelf solutions when you started, and then? kind of went into more of a custom software uh angle for some areas of the business or was there a mix of both back then
2: well so um when it comes to the the internal kind of web app that our research team primarily uses which is what we've uh been predominantly working on uh, along with SCP for a couple years now, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little more. Um, That has to some degree always been a custom solution, Um, even back to its earliest days, which we can talk through its history. Outside of that, um, everything else that we've had has either been uh, kind of an off the shelf solution of some kind. or uh, you know excel files coupled together um sure. and so you know we didn't have a crm prior to 2014 i think uh we just had spreadsheets on people's desktops um and so that's not custom software but it is custom solutions in a sense uh as somebody had to you know develop that incredibly primitive database um so it's been it's been kind of a combination of just upgrading one uh you know SaaS tool to a better one uh or uh it's been a combination of of upgrading you know, one SaaS tool to another, and taking completely offline uh, methods like collected spreadsheets and upgrading those to mm-hmm. something centralized and you know reportable sure. and and so forth, uh, as well as then kind of the the internal custom solution uh, morphing a mm-hmm. couple of times uh, in its lifespan.
0: It's because right because it was um maybe two years ago ish if I remember from our you know one of our previous conversations of when um kind of decided to uh, evolve from what you were working with I forget the name of the product off the top of my head and then migrating into now what's called Scout yeah so about
2: the time frame. Uh, so, we started work two years ago, but we identified that we wanted to do something different about three years mm-hmm. ago. Um, I believe okay. it was fall of 2017 that we did kind of a product assessment of what we were using at the time, which we branded Compass. Um, and that was, you know, it, at its core, a similar idea as so, a, you know, custom web app from the ground up, uh, on a framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, we knew that it needed to probably be either substantially overhauled or indeed just replaced. Um, so that, that process kind of started in, in mid late 2017. Um, and then, yeah, we okay. actually kicked off, uh, the ground up rewrite that became known as scout, uh, with SCP in, uh, July of 2018. So yeah, just about two years ago okay. now.
0: So, um, was how long has compass was compass around prior to that? You know, when you talk about, you know, spreadsheets and, um, uh, and other solutions, uh, none of that, uh, surprises me, right? I think there are still a lot of companies, probably much larger than yours that are still, um, using those as primary tools. That's, I mean, Excel is incredibly robust. Um, uh, what are, do you know, maybe talk through a little bit about the nuances of the way that, DKP does, um, business or provides the service to you guys as customers that necessitate. like there must've been a realization, okay, off the shelf stuff won't cut it. We really need something custom because what we provide is, is so special and unique to our clients. Nothing, nobody else is doing it the same way.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, so there's a couple of factors I think at play there. Um, one is just the nature of the healthcare industry and the payers, uh, the insurance companies, which make up a majority of our work, by no means are they the the only aspect of the healthcare industry that we monitor uh, and report on and do research on, but they're a primary component and they are, um, they're nothing if not unstandardized. I don't know what the opposite word of standardized is. <laughs> um, That's fair. Yeah. um, Differentiated maybe. Uh, And so even just as the information exists out in the wild, it is very hard to find patterns in. Um, and then when it comes to kind of the deliverable or you know the actual reporting that we do to the clients, um certainly there's the consulting layer which you could picture being you know conversations and recommendations and stri- strategy and and sort of executive summaries and those sorts of things um which are typically not you know just excel files um but there's foundational research uh, that supports all of that consulting, and that information gets reported to clients in pretty customized ways Um, a lot of it looks like excel files but um kind of what matters to each client and each um, drug product that they have um, the indications that those drugs are approved for there's just so many details to the uh, healthcare landscape on the insurance side even on the provider side and billing and coding and all of the just minutia means that what we're capturing and what we're reporting is custom kind of at every turn and so that means that over time our team you know, kind of naturally just set up some spreadsheets to capture data, and some of those turned into reports and deliverables, and then we had to maintain them. And it's gone through many, many iterations of uh, varying sophistications. <laughs> and the earliest version of what became known as Compass and then has now been replaced uh, at, with Scout, the very earliest version of a database-driven model uh, was Still, custom software of sorts uh, built by uh, by a third party on SharePoint, uh, SharePoint Server 2003. But we did it back in 2006, and that was some very simple client portals for the our clients to log in and access some reports based on some database tables. Um, and you know, a lot of the details of those tables have been lost to the ether at this point. <laughs> but uh, they captured some simplified versions of of what we still track today. That then became evident that it, we, it needed to be more sophisticated, um, more user-friendly, as well as, you know, indeed just more extended for the kinds of things we needed to track. And so uh, 2010 is when we embarked on um, a new thing. And uh, that is that new thing is what became later branded as DKP Compass. Um, and then that was that... First, kind of from scratch, web app um, that uh, served information, reports, and so forth to our clients, as well as um, housed that information that our team accessed every day.
0: So it was really, I mean, kind of an evolution of the business and uh, growth, and recognizing that okay, we need to we need to think, you know, more in the future, and and kind of a rec- At least what I'm hearing from that is a recognition of some of those factors. Uh, to say, we need to try to go do something that fits us, how we do things, the um, things that we provide to our client um, is what, is, you know, kind of was the, the, the push for Compass.
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, that certainly the okay. conversations and okay. in fact, in fact, the first three years of its development predated my time uh, at DKP. But I do believe that mm-hmm. would be uh, the, the right framing for, yeah, that right. started that project. I think so it's, then, it's been 2000- interesting.
1: It's been interesting for me to see kind of the the natural progression for for DKP for your firm going from sort of a purely consulting uh, model into this other model that I think is you know generally referred to as like productized consulting, where you uh, once you've once you've done all the a lot of the custom work, you're looking to uh, scale up, and you have to figure out what are the commonalities. And I think it's been interesting to see the parallels of of that with uh, the tools that you've been using. So things like Excel and you know cobbled together SharePoint things are definitely great when you're you're not really sure what kind of information you want to collect, how like you said how it should get reported out to customers. But then once you've once you've you know done 10, 20, 30 of these projects, then you start to see some patterns, and then you sort of Uh, start oscillating between uh the spectrum of completely custom and standardized things and that's been interesting for me in terms of you know helping do development of things that are more productized uh for dkp over our time working together
2: definitely And, and one thing i'll add to kind of the discussion around the flexibility needed is um so anytime there's a change in uh the white house or the ACA or repeal the ACA or Medicaid expansion um, without taking any stance on any of those things. Every time that there is a change in uh, even the legislative side of, of healthcare, you know, I, my, my friends or family say like, oh, what does that mean for your company? Are you guys going to be, you going to be okay. And you know, it's, it's a pretty broad brush to paint with, but generally uh, if there are changes in the industry, there's a place for consultancy, right. And there's uncertainty in uh, pharma companies and, Uh, unfortunately, in some ways, but fortunately for, uh, you know, doing business, uh, the healthcare industry is not likely to get more simple and clear ever, or at least in the near future. And so um, what that means for our team, though, specifically beyond just, you know, having job security is uh, that these things are constantly evolving. And so even as we um, you know, like Matt said, the, the early days were, you know, we're not even sure what we're what we need to track. So let's just throw something in a spreadsheet and figure it out later. That is perfect for kind of getting started on on an effort or, an, or a new research initiative. Even you know, t- to this day, that still is how a lot of those kind of start life. Um, but part of the power of now with Scout um, is the ability to, OK, let's formalize that and put it in a system, but acknowledge that it's going to change because these things are. Constantly evolving, um, not just you know the the details that we research, but what even needs to be researched.
0: So uh if we jump forward to 2017, you guys start to uh, consider, okay, maybe we should try um something new. Um can you walk us through maybe some of the the key factors that played into the decision to say, okay, we're just gonna replace this thing because um it's the right time to start from scratch what went into some of that
2: yeah so we uh i think we began the rfp process in december and didn't actually make a decision until like june or or so uh of that next year which is a really long time for a, a small company that is nimble in a lot of ways um but i think we wanted to make sure we got this decision right um uh, without talking too much about the the past and just answer the kind of what you actually asked but um the experience that we had with compass was lengthy and expensive um and good software is expensive but in this case it was um i'm not sure that it was all uh well spent and at least hmm. at least in the end and that's not necessarily a criticism of any of the individuals involved. Um, but by the end of it, I even even when I, like I said, even when I started three years into that project, I was told we've spent X dollars on this already and it's not even in use yet. Three years in, we weren't using it. Um, okay. And so there was, I, I bring that up to say there was definitely some internal baggage um, and fear left over from the Compass project um, that we definitely were all on the same page that we needed to do something different and better. But how to achieve that with the right partner um, and in the right direction, I think, was definitely a concern. So, were there, were, were there? I mean, were there conversations around,
0: hey, maybe we should build this ourselves? Were there conversations around um, the product itself, sure. the company itself? You know, regardless of, of of how it's being built, was the product itself maybe lacking some things that you're like, yeah, you know, maybe we'd like to do some more with it, but maybe starting from scratch is a better way.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, I feel like we kind of explored all of those avenues. Um, You know, we've, um, as, as Matt can certainly attest, we have lots of people who are good at giving um, kind of lofty, like, Oh, we could do this, these three huge, enormous time, you know, take a whole year kind of things, (laughs) not realizing just how broad the scope is. And we have people who deal in the weeds endlessly. And those are Mm -hmm. important stakeholders to bring in. I think, early on in that kind of should we do something different process um a lot of people's input was on kind of the well here's what it needs to do uh, standpoint and you know much of that input was certainly taken um and we went through um kind of a variety of explorations you know certainly just patching compass and adding you know putting some more money into it and adding features was was explored um also we we discussed um Can is there an off the shelf product? Um, can we, you know, get a a custom developer but on top of Salesforce, Mm -hmm. maybe? Um, Right. And I think we that actually was a fairly strong contender because there are lots of pluses to, yeah, on on a really solid platform such as that. Um, Absolutely. I mean, Salesforce is
0: the largest CRM in
2: the world, so for a reason, yeah. And and (laughs) yeah, and and not just on the CRM side, right? With the force.com, you can build pretty much anything. Um, and so we had, I mean, we had proposals from companies that are developers and consultants on salesforce um and so we definitely considered that and there's 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 pros to that um to that option but um and then of course we entertained and and discussed um and rfp'd (laughs) from uh (laughs) a handful of of custom software developing companies as well such as scp Um, um um because ultimately and that was kind of my gut feel all along was what we do and what we need is custom enough and our users Mm. are demanding enough um that we need something that is truly built for our purposes um and other, other than the times that that we like to joke uh when something is kind of a hard problem to solve uh in development we uh matt especially to put words in his mouth here likes to joke oh we should just build an excel file for this um but but other than that uh we i at least i personally just to speak for myself i've never gone back and been like ah man this would have been simpler if it was on salesforce or something primarily because the foundational components um are not ever the challenge at this point Uh, they were with compass but they aren't uh at least in my experience so far um i say not as the actual developer having to manage them i recognize that but uh but hey if i don't have to Put out that fire from a platform standpoint then i think we're doing pretty well
1: one thing that really stood out to me was when we first uh kicked off the project we kind of went around the room and everyone at dkp was talking about uh you know what they either liked or didn't like about the old uh tool compass and i remember distinctly uh someone from dkp uh sort of was lamenting like please you're not going to make us write out user stories which I thought was it was interesting to contrast because I think this is a typical, you know, agile software development best practice of you need to to document this, and I think it really just highlighted that the work that DKP does is not necessarily conducive to going off and saying, "Please write down everything you do." We'll be able to take you know these pages and pages of notes. We'll be able to uh, you know design a, a database schema. We'll be able to go build the pages. And then we'll see you in you know, 12 months. Uh, here you go. Ta-da, it's, it's done. So right from the get-go, I think uh, it was um, becoming clear to me that we definitely had to deal with um, a, a problem domain that was not, not necessarily easy to just sit down and write out what it is that the software needed to do. There's going to be a lot of uh, discovery, a lot of uh, shaping of the work, a lot of figuring out Um, okay this is what the process is let's try to untangle that from the needs of the deliverable how the actual data lives in in the real world how you would like this to work and then kind of figuring out what the the right solution uh, would be given all those constraints uh, and then given the extra layer of uh, having to build out trust in a new system so uh, for better or worse i mean we were Uh, deliberate about, you know, rebranding this uh, tool, we were deliberate about trying to get things uh, out and into uh, the hands of DKP as soon as possible, instead of uh, trying to uh, document everything up front and go build it. Now, that has had its own set of challenges, because uh, it's a little bit like jumping into the deep end, you don't exactly know where you're going and what everything is. So, uh, that's been uh, an interesting uh, thing for us to balance is uh, when when you're kind of exploring around, uh, with, you know, a small flashlight in a a dark room, it's a little bit harder to say like, yep, the software is, uh, you know, 47% done and we are tracking up against, uh, you know, the goals of the project here.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you said that, Matt. Our, um, Our owner and president and namesake uh, of the company, Denise, likes to talk about not just our software, not just Scout, but our company and our work often being uh, like changing a tire while driving because of the nature of the industry and just the changing targets and changing everything. And I think that speaks a little bit to um, the individual who made the comment about user stories that even if we did sit down and take a few weeks to try to write out some detailed ones they're going to read a little differently by the time we finished than when we started. Um, and that flexibility has, as you said, certainly introduced some challenges in development, but, um, also produced in my opinion, anyway, really good software in the end. Um,
0: it's, it's interesting that you guys are bringing this up, you know, um, you know, some pe- my experience, some people, um, are very, well. I'll say most people are very passionate about process. And I, and I would say, uh, and in my experience, typically fall in either two buckets, one bucket of, of I'm comfortable with this process and this is how I do things. And another bucket of, um, let's find a process that fits, um, the dynamics of the team, the business, uh, the needs of the people, on uh, the problem, uh, that they're solving, um, but they're still you know they're both very passionate about process and and if i'm hearing kind of the the story here what, right then you know process and how to engage with the business how to engage with users was was a was a decision factor for you guys
2: yeah absolutely and uh not to be needlessly complimentary but but here you go for a second um, <laughs> so, so to, to to bring it back to your question about the, kind of the the RFP process essentially in our decision-making one of the things, so I I knew we obviously needed a partner who can build quality software and has a reputation of being uh, successful at that. Right. Um, I think there are probably several firms in the area that make really high quality software. Um, I would agree with that. And I would say that when we got towards the end of that process, we had two definitely maybe three options that if we had to go one way or the other, I think we would have had good software. Um, But beyond that to me that was almost like table stakes right um uh and that certainly did take a couple off the table but beyond that we knew that we needed a partner uh that kind of checked two other boxes um one is probably the most nebulous which is sort of just the cultural fit um uh, we were planning to be in it for the long haul and and we still are (laughs) and so we knew we'd have to be talking a lot and uh there's corporate culture fit as well as obviously individual cultural fit. Um, and that was one thing from the get go that it just felt good, which I've given that answer a couple other times. And like, mm. I kind of hate using such hard to define language and like, yeah. do, you re- do you really make, you know, million dollar decisions on gut feel? Well, at least partially yeah i i think so but um but there was something about the being in the room with the the people that were part of the initial mm. proposal process and then even um you know matt was certainly part of that as well in the kind of like here's some of who your team will be if you choose us kind of process um but then somewhere in the middle of like technical know-how and then just super fuzzy gut feel um hard to pin down somewhere in the middle was the acknowledgment that to bring it back to what we were talking about as far as um, figuring out what needed to be built. Um, That was one of the things I stated from the get go is there's lots of inputs on our, on DKP side, on our, my colleagues, our team side of we needed to do this and I needed to do that and it shouldn't do this. And I want it, it needs to do that. There's lots of opinions I'll say as well as, you know, easily verifiable needs. Um, And I feel like I have my head pretty well wrapped around at least at at a, medium level what our team needs um and I have a decent understanding of at least how technology works even though I'm not a threat for Matt's job to be quite sure um (laughs) but um how to bridge that gap was the part that I I knew I needed or we needed corporately Mm. was was some creativity um and frankly consulting was kind of the word I kept coming back to like Mm. I, I definitely wanted a partner who was not just code monkeys that build great software but like consultants and and partners that will dive in with us understand what we need and what it needs to do not just where i'm saying that button goes or something and then give opinions and give inputs and even disagree and push back and that was something that i felt again from the beginning um we had the highest likelihood of success with uh with you all and i still think that that has been successful um and and one of the biggest reasons that that our team likes and uses the software <laughs> uh, is that it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not been just my interpretation of their needs, not solely, um, uh, and it's also not just been their interpretation of their needs, um, but, it's, but it's been kind of filtered through um, people as well as tools and processes that have experience and um, are not afraid to um, share that in kind of a, a partnership model. So that's been very appreciated and I, I think uh, was part of that process.
1: Yeah, I think so much, of the, so much of the project has been trying to balance that. It's, uh, we've got folks on the, the technical team that have uh, experience and expertise at building software. How do you balance that against uh, you know, DKP who know the, know the domain, know how uh, fluid things are in the industry, know what the clients need, know what kind of feels right. And then from kind of a, a project leadership uh, perspective. There's the realities of uh, the business, and are we making good ROI decisions about uh, the project, and 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 all of that. So it's it's been. I think uh, I think we've had a lot of healthy uh, conflict and, and disagreements on on some of this.
0: let's really. I mean, I I've never heard that story before, so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so I'm I'm curious uh, to dive into your role, Michael you've kind of been thrust into a product management role over the last few years. It sounds like, you know, starting, taking over it. When I think of that, I don't really think of product management, especially when it comes to software development or product development. Um, But you've kind of been thrust into a product management role. Um, I'm kind of curious over the last few years, what's been hard about that? What's been maybe surprising? What do you wish you knew years ago when, you first kind of started into that into that wearing that hat I should say
2: yeah um, I think that's a fair characterization uh, as we discussed my you know my my uh, schooling background at least is let's say non-traditional for the field that I'm in now uh, so a lot of the things that I have learned if I've learned anything along the way has been through experience uh, as well as good uh, role models and mentors and so forth um, but that is to say that yeah the the project management stuff as well as especially the Kind of product management now on the software side um, is relatively new uh, to me, at least in a in a formal kind of skill set standpoint. Um, I think it, when it comes to the software project management uh, and you know sort of pseudo product management, I guess um, in connecting DKP's needs to SCP's uh, you know pr- uh, production, I guess uh, ha- there's been there's been a handful of things. There's um, some of the most positively surprising bits have been. Um, kind of how quickly some stuff can actually be accomplished if there's the proper planning and support in place um, there's certainly been times where there's been things that we've talked about that has felt like it's going to take a while and you know in a day or two we have a not just like a quick solution but like the solution in place um, that is by no means the case on everything as as Matt alluded to, there's been a lot of a lot of unknowns and a lot of digging in deep that's taken time as well um I think on that side one of the one of the challenges that I found um <clears throat> and i don't think this is unique to our company but i think because of our size um we get a large percentage of people weighing in on features and and needs um is coordinating non technical people um can be a challenge um even when we're trying to we're not you know we're not trying to ask them how that line of code should be written right we just need to know what 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 the what the screen needs to do um and yet coordinating non technical people especially those who are incredibly detail-oriented. Um, we have a handful of people who are very kind of, you know, input is the is the name of the strength. Uh, they're very details-oriented, and that is such an asset um, to us. Um, but when it comes to, you know, determining what what the software needs to do, finding the way to communicate to them and between them and, and you know, at, at times the SAP team, or even just others internally, uh has been a, an area of growth for me for sure um yeah and you know you know you, you mentioned i the the it guy being a product guy is not always um it's not usually the same person right um and sometimes it's just a function of scale obviously if we were a 200 person organization then that probably would be two different people um but i think because of kind of my background um you know, even the even the IT leadership thing is is a little bit different than maybe stereotypes of an IT guy, um, and so I think that has helped in the sense of our team kind of trusts my technical jobs, even though it's far short of you know someone who's actually doing the development work, um, but. I think I hopefully uh, have brought a, a culture of listening and and letting people's perspectives be heard even if the understanding is just cuz you're voicing it doesn't mean it's always the thing we're going to run with. Um and I think I've I think we've modeled that even on um the SCP team, the various folks that we've had on the team, uh the amount of face time that they've had uh, in our physical office at least pre-coronavirus uh with with <laughs> our team has really helped i think that feel like a like a team thing not that you know everything has to flow through me because it doesn't always um and uh you know just because somebody on our team sits down with with Matt or Rob and tells them a problem they're having you know they know that doesn't mean it's going to go get fixed that day necessarily but but we've been able to you know accommodate stuff uh, enough that I think there's trust there
0: so um... Obviously organizational influence is kind of what I, if I had to put in a nutshell, a lot of what you're describing influence is probably one of the top three skills that you need as a good product manager, right? Cause you, you are balancing, mm-hmm. uh, the needs of the users, the business strategy, uh, your market and your, your, your maker teams to kind of bring it all together and provide something that's valuable, um. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, so I, it sounds like figuring that out was probably one of the harder things for you to um, to get kind of uh, into, into a rhythm, into your normal vocabulary.
2: Yeah, I think that's actually a really good way to put it. Um, and the other thing, which um, I think Matt alluded to a bit ago um, on the kind of technical side, but it has a very... Soft human side of it, too, which is the trust of the platform, not just the trust of the mm. process, although that is incredibly important as well. Um, our team internally did not trust the last platform um, by the time it was uh sunsetting or really, unfortunately, long, long before it sunset. Um, oh, OK. We didn't we didn't have organizational trust in it or even individual trust in it. Um, mm-hmm. And so simply saying oh hey we're gonna build a new thing doesn't necessarily get everyone's buy-in immediately um because what's you know why do i think the new thing is going to be better than the old thing right and so getting people getting people's trust in us to put together something that was going to work better even just on a simple functionality Mm -hmm. standpoint as well as do what they needed it to um was so key and i think again part of Part of that was made possible by the actual FaceTime that um, you know my broader team of developers, if you will, the, our partners at SCP, having them in person. Um, I think made a huge difference to that because then it wasn't just some other nameless developer like, uh, the early days of compass that, you know, our team, <laughs> some people who were around back then will have an easy time complaining about what they did or didn't do, but they were literally unseen faces the entire time. Uh, in, especially in the first couple of years of, of the platform. Um, and that made a big difference. Like, again, it's it's that whole, like, it has nothing to do with the actual technical skills of those folks versus the team at SCP, but it has everything to do with the personal trust in the team that's going to be working on this platform. Um, and I think, yep. you know, it comes back to listening again for me, to letting people voice their frustrations and complaints, and then we'll you know, whittle that down to, okay, what's the core need here? Um, and take that into account. Um, I think that made a, a big difference towards setting us on a path that then... Once the software itself proves to actually be, you know, stable and quality, then, um, there people are happy, and that's making people happy is not the only goal, but it is an important uh, component.
0: Well, you, you, this is not a tool for your customers, not your primarily. Mm-hmm. Customer with the, yeah, yeah, um, uh, that's fair. But uh, what my, you're describing, like your primary users are your coworkers at DKP. Yes. Yep. It's not necessarily right. It, it helps, it helps them provide a high level of service to your end clients as a business, Mm -hmm. but your users are sitting next to you. Yep. Right. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. which is, which is what I'm hearing from you is kind of a double-edged sword. You get a lot of feedback, but you get a lot of feedback.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. And, and, and you, you had this product, um, That they weren't terribly comfortable with and it was like okay hey we're gonna we're gonna do something new oh well you know okay how do we know that this is going to be anything different um so building that trust i would imagine i don't know if that was an expected challenge but it sounds like that was probably a pretty darn big challenge to overcome i mean how long i mean was that a year-long process do you feel like there was a, a moment in time where you're like ah they were finally like, "Oh, okay. We see this is going to be totally new, and uh, we're we're all in."
2: Um, I whew, it's a little tough to put a timeline on that, but um, it, but it definitely was an expected challenge. Uh, that's okay. for sure something we set out knowing. Um, as I mentioned, the RFP process alone was lengthy, and so from the time that we kind of floated the idea out there that we're going to probably replace Compass was, you know, late. 2017 i think i said um and the first time they had you know code in hand or to actually interact with was uh late i think 2018 um and actually, that's a pretty short time period from what they were used to in the past, which I think once it was something deployed and in hand that they could start playing with, there was kind of like a, oh, we've got something that looks good already. I think that was, if anything, kind of the first time. And it was a small set of users. I mean, it was two or three people that really benefited from the first kind of you know, release, I guess. Um but but even just that um I think was was a nice kind of aha moment of like, oh, there might be something to this. Um I think the the more cynical among my colleagues uh probably took a little longer to convince, uh which is fine which is totally fair. Um but yeah, we knew we knew there would be um some hesitancy all along.
0: Well, I've always found that um you you typically can get some great early adopters for example that will be fans of what you put out and you know might will give you good feedback early on but sometimes it's maybe the early majority or some of those more uh cynical uh as you put it um, uh, that can challenge you to do do better or to look at things maybe differently uh, can actually make end up making the product way better than uh, uh yeah. than you might have ever anticipated so it's both a blessing and a curse, at least in my experience
1: yeah, and this this was something that we definitely thought about from the first days on the project. I, I mean uh, it was it, it really impacted early on uh, the prioritization of what we were even working on. so I mean there's there's a ton of stuff and uh, you know an approach is to say what's the most valuable or what's the most risky let's tackle those uh, f- first um, and and we actually, made a, a deliberate decision. And uh, I know it was you know probably two years ago at this point, but we tried to pick the thing that was most isolated actually to start first mm-hmm. so that we could get it. So we were, we were really um, valuing speed of delivery. So when we were on site doing the project kickoff, we had to try to find what is something that uh, is not working well in the new system that has as little uh, interaction with everything else so that we can get something uh, as quickly as possible out there. So. Uh, we were able to identify that it was not the most valuable feature, but it's definitely been uh, something that is useful, and we were able to get it done quickly. So we we came back from that session, and then uh, I think if I have my timeline correctly, we were, like the first version of the new uh, tool Scout was was deployed in the first week of development, and by the end of the first month, we had shipped out the. Uh, kind of first little module of of the of the product uh out into into production,
2: yeah that sounds uh correct to me for sure, and I think a lot of the first year of of work um well mo- almost all of the first year of the work was um moving over components that compass had that we knew you know conceptually needed to. Uh, it still exist, uh, just be built, you know, better and in a new platform. And at every step of that, and even to some degree, even today, as we're building actually kind of new from scratch things, it, balancing the users or the audience or who it's going to benefit um, is a part of that conversation at every turn. Um, and I think that's, I think that's good for the. Business, right? Because there's more than just what task is either easiest to hit next, or yeah, or or the most risky. Let's go there. There's also a factor of who we're going to benefit and who's going to, um, yeah, who who we haven't touched in a while. I mean, that's even been a part of it. Is there's a couple of parts of the company that don't interact with the the database as it's kind of casually called a whole lot. And so every six or nine months, we develop uh, a little more of uh, a little more benefit or a little more value, I guess, uh, for them. And, uh, they understand they're not the biggest priority. Um, but it's good to, uh, genuinely use like, Hey, we haven't delivered something for them in a while. Let's, let's prioritize that for a few weeks. Um, it all factors in. So it is, it is definitely people management in addition to software management and product management.
1: Well, yeah. And I think that ties back into what Zach was saying about, you know, building influence and, and, uh, trust within, within the company. I, I've said before, and you know, this is just a quote I've stolen from someone and lost the origin. But uh, you know, building building a product requires you to be uh, patient in the long term and anxious in the short term. And I think that huh. is that's yeah. definitely uh, not um, the default mindset for for most people. It's either uh, you're you're too patient and then nothing ever gets done, or you're too anxious and you're you, you kind of lose sight of. Uh, how far you've come over, you know, months or, or a year or how much we can get done, uh, if we, if we make a longer term investment.
0: Uh, I've never heard that before. I like that saying.
2: Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal I, that from you. i am just going yeah, to you. attribute that to Matt Swanson.
1: <laughs> well, that's a, a bold faced lie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So, um, feel like this might be a leading question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, Is there anything, is there like a thing or an aspect, a skill that you feel like you are, it's now part of how you do your job every day that diving into this role and building, working with Compass and then migrating and and building Scout, that's just become part of what you do and how you do things?
2: So I don't know if that I can say one thing, but I'll give you kind of one class of things. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a meaningful distinction, but leave it to me to find a way to that's draw okay. a line there. Um, so the I think the biggest thing that I, from a carrying forward and using even in, in completely unrelated areas um, for me has been some of the kind of discovery and brainstorming and you know, needs assessment, some of the, the methods and techniques that we use, especially in the first, let's say six months of the project, um, that also had some synergy with somebody at our company who was hired relatively, um, recently before that, who came on board with, uh, and he's not a software person per se, but with, with some similar, um, ability to think through, uh, problems that need to be solved and whether that's whiteboarding literally, uh, or digitally or, um, Card sorting exercises, or just all of those sorts of things that we did, many of which were either new to me, or, you know, I had heard of them, but had just never participated in them. That, um, that, uh, at the time, Dave Matthew on the SCP team was, was leading a lot of that with Matt and others. Um, a lot of those things were just so exciting and cool, which is not a business word, but, uh, for me to, to see and participate in and um, see how they incorporated our users input and feedback in ways that I think made the input and feedback be valued and feel heard. um, But also then let us kind of somewhat objectively sit back and, and, you know, analyze it and go through and prioritize and just all that stuff that you do with those, Um, those techniques, I'm so not an expert on any of them still, but, um but being exposed to a lot of that stuff has been uh super helpful and we have adopted some of those ideas um in other parts of the business uh, to solve other internal problems uh and try to work through some other processes so at least for just me personally even aside from the development of scout those uh tools and ideas i think are probably what i've what i've carried forward the most
1: yeah i've got I've got two things that I think I'm really going to take away long-term from, from this. And one is that, yeah, kind of echoing Michael, when we first started the discovery, I know something that, that Dave and I really tried to do a lot was, um, asking questions, uh, using when, instead of, you know, what or why. So, uh, trying to, trying to frame things as, okay, uh, can you walk us through, like, when was the last time that this happened or, uh, when you last, uh, deliver this report, What were the problems or uh, putting people back in into that mindset and having them walk you through a time that has actually happened uh, has has been helpful for for us uh, understanding the outside context of what are they trying to accomplish? Not necessarily. Yeah, I need the report to have these columns. It's like, okay, uh, you know, can you tell us about, uh, you know, when you when you first knew that these were the the right ones to to add to a report, things like that. so that's definitely something long-term uh, that I'll be uh, taking with me. And I had another one. Uh, I've lost it, though. Must not have been too important. That's okay.
0: <laughs> well, I, I love the story. I love, uh, you know, Michael, your journey over the last seven years and uh, moving from one uh, one product to another and decisions that kind of go into that and kind of putting on a whole new hat of product manager not coming from a, the traditional background, um, which I think is awesome, so the all the trombone players out there that want to <laughs> dive into product management, it's possible um, uh, it's just it's just fun to hear uh, some of that and a lot of your, a lot of the journey. so I appreciate your guys' time.
1: oh, I remembered should i should I
0: oh go my, for a second let's lesson do it. Let's, we can splice let's it end back on again. let's end on a wonderful lesson learned
1: um, I think one of the biggest things I've found is that. Uh, if you hear the words uh, almost always and you're building software, <laughs> like that needs to put <laughs> your ears up um, because that, that's the difference between um, getting something absolutely right and getting something, uh, you know, absolutely wrong, at least when it comes to uh, this kind of complex uh, domain thing here, we've had numerous times when we've uh, been trying to figure out what to build and we've said, okay, like, what are the options for this field? And it, you know, or uh, what does what does this uh, type of data mean? And it's like, oh, it means this. Oh, does it always mean this? Uh, well, almost always. And uh, then that kind of can either send you spiraling or or not, depending on if you're ready to handle that.
0: So yeah. never make assumptions.
1: Well, you know what they say about assumptions,
0: right? I I'm I'm aware. you are usually right, aware.
1: and you save a lot of time.
0: That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, guys, I appreciate you joining me today uh, uh, and and sharing the experience of the last few years. So with that, I will let you get back to your day. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Zach. It's been fun talking about this and certainly fun working with you guys. And we'll get back to it for stand up later today.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Thanks, guys. (laughs)